If you could grab a copy of God's Word, or maybe I should say a bulletin, you are going to want to make sure you have a bulletin over the next couple of weeks. Your bulletin will be your best friend. Uh, We're studying the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at various Proverbs over the next couple of weeks. Uh, We're studying Proverbs because it's about wisdom, and the Bible says that wisdom is urgent for us. What is wisdom? Wisdom is, we've defined it several different ways, competence in regards to the complexities of life. Wisdom is the ability to know the right thing to do in the 80% of life where the moral rules don't apply. Wisdom is skill at living, skill at doing life well. And we said a few weeks ago, and this is important for us to understand, is Proverbs is wisdom literature. Uh, And so you've got to study Proverbs differently than you study other books of the Bible. It's a very different kind of book. And so we've been looking at chapters 1 through 9, and we've been looking at these lessons and lectures on wisdom. This morning, we transition into chapters 10 through 31, and starting in chapter 10, that's when you get the Proverbs, and, and it's what you typically think of when you think of a book of Proverbs. It's those pithy, short sayings that are loaded with truth. But this section of Proverbs needs to be studied, studied differently uh, than we have been looking at the past couple of weeks when we looked at the lectures on wisdom. All commentators point this out. It's extremely helpful. But chapters 10 through 31 is best studied topically. And there's a reason for that. And that's because no one proverb says everything uh, about a particular topic. And so to study a book like Proverbs, you've got to grab a little from here and a little from there and bring it together and put those Proverbs beside one another in order to get a full and complete picture of what Proverbs is teaching on a particular topic. And so because of that, for the rest of the series, we will be grouping Proverbs together topically. Next week, we're going to look at anger. We're going to look at how we use our words and money and work and what Proverbs says about the way we work. And you'll see in your bulletin, we're going to list a lot of Proverbs on a particular topic, and that's more than anything a resource for you and to keep you from being distracted by having to flip everywhere in the book of Proverbs. We thought we would list them all. I won't cover them all, and I won't read them all. Uh, But those are resources for you to look at what Proverbs and all the Proverbs on a particular topic. Uh, This morning, we're looking at wisdom and friendship. And what we see in Proverbs, and you'll see it if you've read through it, is friendship is a really big deal in the book of Proverbs. And it's a big deal because it says that if you want wisdom and you want to grow in wisdom, you cannot do so in isolation. You need a friend. And so this morning, the theme of the sermon is friendship. And so follow along with me as I read God's Word. I will reference uh, the Proverbs that I will be reading uh, this morning. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born in adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Down to twenty five twenty. Whoever sings a song to a heavy heart 
It's like the one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. 27, 5, and 6. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and help us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for your help. Uh, We ask that you would come this morning through your spirit and you tell us that wisdom is urgent and that it's something that we need desperately and so we ask that you would give it to us. You tell us to ask and you'll give and so we're asking. Uh, Would you show us this morning the importance uh, of friendship? Lord, our tendency is to put this way down the list on things that we need. And I pray that after this morning, it would move near the top of the list, that we would see the value and how needed this is for us to truly live in this life. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was reminded this week, a friend of mine, Brian Haybig, he was in RUF, and he's now a a church, well, not a planter anymore, but he pastors a church in Greenville, South Carolina, He reminded me of this article that I remember reading back in March of 2017. And it was a big deal at the time uh, when it first came out. And I remember reading it, uh, but I forgot about it. Uh, And the title of the article, it was from the Boston Globe. And the title of the article was this. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity. It's loneliness. It's an article written by... Billy Baker. Let me read a segment of this article. He says, I'd been summoned to the editor's office at Globe Magazine with the ode, we have a story that we think would be perfect for you. This is how editors talk when they're about to con you into doing something that you don't want to do. Here was the pitch. We want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. Excuse me? (laughs) I have plenty of friends. Are you calling me a loser? You are calling me a loser. The editor told me there was all sorts of evidence out there about how men, as they age, let their close friendships go. That it could actually cause all sorts of problems and have a terrible impact on their health. So I told the editor I'd think about it. That's what reporters say when they're trying to get out of something that they don't want to do. As I walked back to my desk in the newsroom, which is about 100 yards away, I quickly took stock of my life to try to prove to myself that I was not, in fact, perfect for this story. By the time I got back to my desk, I realized that I was indeed perfect for this story. Not because I was unusual in any way, but because my story is very, very typical. He goes on in the article and he talks about the fact that he has no friends. And he says this, and as I I looked at what it means, I realized that in the long term, by the way, this is the Boston Globe. In the long term, this sounds just like Proverbs. He says, in the long term, I was heading down a path that was very, very dangerous. And I would say that from where I sit, that the exact same thing can be said about the men in this room. The exact same thing can be said within the church. I hear all the time men say, I work hard, 
I provide for my family. I love my wife. I love my children. I have everything that I've ever wanted in life, but I don't have a friend. See, the absence of friendship is very, very dangerous. And to that end, one of our goals this year at FPC is men's ministry. By God's grace, we want to create avenues and ways for men to become friends and connect with one another. And so stay tuned, men. But we know that, yes, that's a particularly, uh, it's particular to men, I would say, just by looking at that article, I think that's true. But it's really an issue for all of us, isn't it? And that's what Proverbs is trying to get across this morning, that a young, old man, woman, if you don't have friends, then you're heading down a very, very dangerous path. Proverbs says that wisdom is urgent and that you and I cannot grow in wisdom on our own. That in order to grow in wisdom and to become wise, we need a friend. And so this morning, we're going to look at friendship. Two things, the picture of friendship as we see it in Proverbs and the power for friendship. So let's look at those two things. Number one, the picture of friendship. Look at uh, chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so the picture of this proverb is that uh, of somebody who has lots of buddies. They have lots of companions or acquaintances, and they're friends on some level, but when things get hard and it gets difficult, they leave. And that person is left in ruins. And the reason why I want to set this up this way is because we live in the South, and we're known as being friendly. And we're known, and you know, that you have lots of companions. You have lots of acquaintances. And oftentimes, we mistake buddies for real friendships. I mean, think about our context. You get invited to do things by people. People invite you to their house for dinner. You invite them to your house for dinner. You share lunch together. You drink coffee together. You get asked to be on the boards of things and uh, organizations and, and whatnot. You take people to the lake with you. You take people on vacation with you. And the point is this. In some ways, because of our context, everyone is your friend. And in Proverbs 18.24, look at what it says. When everyone is your friend, then who's really your friend? No one. And look, I'm not trying to be morbid or weird here, but have you ever had this thought? When you die, who's going to carry your coffin? If you were to plan your funeral right now and think about if you had six or eight pallbearers, who would they be? I know, let's take out family. You're going to have some family, of course, but I'm talking about friends. Who would they be? If you were to look through your contacts in your phone this morning, is there anyone in your phone that you don't lead? Anyone in your phone that you don't manage in some way? Or anyone in your phone that can't do something for you? Listen, I don't doubt that we have companions. And I don't doubt that we have lots of acquaintances. But my question for all of us, including myself this morning, is do you have real friends? And that's the question we're going to look at. What does a real friend look like, and how do you know the difference between an 
acquaintance and a friend. Well, Proverbs tells us. Let's look at three. There's three subpoints under this first point. And the first one is this. This is not an exhaustive list, but here are a few things that Proverbs says make up a real friend. And the first one is a chosen commitment. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. So the first thing we see is a friend is someone who is chosen. It's very deliberate. It's very intentional. And that's what makes a friend different than a sibling or family. Family will be there for you during adversity. Your brother or sister will be there for you during adversity. Why? Because they've got to be. In some senses, because they're family and they kind of have to do that. That's the assumption in the proverb. Look at verses 18 through 24 again. That's why it says that a friend is actually better than family, better than a sibling. They stick closer. Why? Because they choose to. They're not with you because you're assigned and share the same set of parents. They're better because they voluntarily sign up for you. They choose you. Not only that, it's they're committed to you. Look at 1717 again. It says that a friend loves not some of the time, not just when it's convenient, but a friend is someone who loves at all times. Good times, bad times, a friend is there for you, and it's not based on how convenient it is. It's constant. They're there for you no matter what. And so what does this mean for us practically this morning? Well, it means this. If you're going through adversity or hardship, or something very difficult in your life, an acquaintance might say to you, hey, text me if you need anything. But a friend is already in the driveway. See, suffering and adversity can also be a very clarifying experience because it can show you, and it could be painful, it can show you who your real friends actually are. And it might come, you might come to realize that the people you thought were friends really aren't friends. You want to be friends, you've got to choose to be there no matter what. So what does that mean for us? Well, and what, do we, what, are, what, is, what are the implications? Well, I think you can imply here that friendship is very, very hard work and takes lots of effort and time. That's why Proverbs hints that, that you won't have many of these. If you have one or two friends, like we see here in the book of Proverbs, in your lifetime, you are a blessed person, and you should thank God and rejoice for that. Because it takes lots of time and effort, and there's something that's cultivated and not developed overnight. And I think another thing we could say is this is never on the list when someone's contemplating a job transfer or taking a new job in another city. And here's what I mean. When we're thinking about another job, we think, uh, money, we think, and that's good, and we're thinking about advancement in our company, we're thinking about the place we're going to live, but you know what else should be on that list? It's friendship, and maybe there's a reason that you don't take a job because you've got something in the place where you are that's very, very rare called community and called a friend. Friendship should be on the list because it's something that takes a long time to cultivate and you shouldn't easily move on from. I think it also, here, we see one of the major obstacles in friendship uh, in our culture is going back to what I was saying at the beginning, is we don't think friendship's necessary for us. 
It's at the bottom of the list. We don't see the danger in not having friends, and it shows in the way we live our life. We work to the bone. We vacate. We have hobbies. We golf. We are, we're involved in PTO. We're the room mom. Uh, we're, we coach every rec league sport that we possibly can. We run ourselves ragged doing everything but what? Creating space for friendship. We think it's optional. And we pursue it only when we have everything else in order. And Proverbs says, if you do not make friendship a priority, you will not make it in this life. You will not make it. Your life, we need to to pursue friendship as if your life depended on it. And often, here's what we think about friendship. We think, friendship should just come to us. That I'm just going to sit here and why don't I have any friends? Because people or nobody's wanting to pursue me as a friend. If you think friendship is going to come to you, then you will never have good friends. You got to go get it. Friendship takes commitment, it takes work, it takes pursuit, it takes initiating with people. Men, it takes showing up to things. It takes cups of coffee and meals and spending time together in very mundane ways. You've got to make time for it. Secondly, friendship involves empathy. Look at verses 25, or chapter 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, like vinegar on soda. And so the proverb is getting at, if you sing songs, happy songs, to a friend who is upset and in a bad place and struggling and hurting, that is essentially like ripping off their coat in the middle of a polar vortex. Does that sound like fun? No. That is actually hurtful, not loving. Why? Because real friends have their happiness tied up in their friend's happiness. You see that? A friend, when your friend hurts, you hurt. When your friend is happy, you're happy. And you rejoice and you celebrate with them. You know, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And when you look at the Proverbs, there's this deep emotional connection among friends. I love Brene Brown. She did the TED Talk on the power of vulnerability and, and she gives this great distinction about the difference between empathy and sympathy. She says, imagine someone who's stuck in a pit. They're at the bottom. They're in pain. They're hurting. And they're crying out from the bottom of the pit. I'm stuck. I'm hurting. I'm in a very bad place. I'm overwhelmed. And sympathy goes and stands at the edge of the pit at a very safe distance and says, wow, it's really bad down there. Here's a care package. I hope this makes you feel better. That's sympathy. Empathy's different. She says that empathy goes to the pit and actually climbs down into the pit with, that's the key word, with that person. And says, I know what you feel like. And I want you to know that I'm with you. And that you're not alone in what you're going through. You see the difference? You see the difference? Friendship involves empathy. A friendship is someone who's willing to crawl down in the pit with you and cry with you. And, and I'm talking about the church universal here, but the church is really good at sympathy. We're really good at keeping our distance from hurting people and hurting friends 
and throwing Bible verses at them. Saying things like, God is good, cheer up. I hope things get better. God works all things together for good. Is that true? Absolutely it's true. But here's wisdom again. Wisdom is knowing when to say that and the appropriate time to say that based on where the person is. But often I think we don't want to go there. We, we go there so quickly with throwing Bible verses at people um, because we don't like to feel pain. We don't like to hurt. We don't like to hurt ourselves and so we don't want to enter into someone else's hurt. And so we keep our distance because it's just much safer to do so. Listen to this quote by Henry Nowen on friendship. It, listen closely. It is amazing. When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find it is those who instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, we're really good at that, by the way, They have chosen rather to share our pain, to touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in the moment of despair or confusion. Or the one who can stay with us for an hour in our grief and bereavement. Who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness. That is a real friend. That is a friend who cares. If we're ever going to be good friends, we've got to learn to go there with people and get in the pit with them and experience hurt with them. Lastly, a true friend is able to confront. Look at verse, uh, chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of of an enemy. You see the paradox there? Friendly wounds and enemy kisses. Uh, The friendly, faithful wounds of a friend uh, is when you go to a friend, and though it might sound, it might be painful in the moment, you tell that friend exactly what they need to hear. A true friend is willing to do that with other people who they consider friends. And it's not, and this is the way we take it, uh, it's not that you're fighting against them, This means you're actually fighting for them. And again, we live in the South, and this is really difficult. We're not good at this. We don't like to do this sort of thing. But if we are afraid to say these things to our friends that need to hear them, and and, and we never say anything, then what is this verse saying? Well, that you're not really a friend. In fact, you're actually an enemy. Why? Why? Well, because you're setting them up for destruction. Look at Proverbs 29.5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. In other words, if you don't tell your friend the truth about them, then you're actually setting them up for disaster. It's like setting a trap for their feet. So, for example, maybe this morning you have someone that you can identify in your life Uh, who is in sin, let's say, and you know they're destroying their lives, but you refuse to say anything, and you do what I often do, and you make a lot of excuses. Ah, it's none of my business. None of my business. Or, ah, there's a better time. I can't talk to them now. Maybe I'll just wait, and then you end up never doing it. If you really love them, and they're really your friend, Proverbs is saying it is your business. 
But notice something, and I think this needs to be said. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, not an acquaintance. <laughs> so this is not a call for you to go all, to all the people that get on your nerves and start calling them out on everything. No, 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 no. You only do that with people you love and people you care about and people who are real friends. And if you don't know them and love and care for them, then it's not your place to confront them. Because they will actually not take it as a wound from a friend. It'll be like a kiss from an enemy. See, friendship is someone who knows you well. They know your history. They know your story. They know your strengths. They know your weaknesses and your personalities and the things that you struggle with. And when we think about confrontation, we typically go, oh, it's got to be this deep, dark, intense thing, uh, a sin that's really uh, bugging me or standing out in a person's life. But no, it's way more than that. A friend is someone who helps you see what you can't see. No one's objective about themselves. You know this, right? You're not objective about you. You need an outside opinion. You need outside help because we all have blind spots, and that's what a friend does. It helps you see what you can't see. Let me give you an example. I remember in college, I had a friend confront me, and if you've been confronted, chances are you did it in love, and it was a fateful wound from a friend. Chances are you remember it, and chances are it was probably life-changing for you. It was for me. I'll never forget it because I would say it was at this point, it was a turning point for me relationally in my life. And this friend came up to me and he said, do you realize that when we're walking across campus, do you ever realize that when we meet somebody and you don't know them, I know them, uh, and you don't know them, you disappear. You hide and step back and kind of, just check out and wait for the conversation to be over and then you connect with me and we keep walking. Why do you do that? Why not move towards this person and be okay with meeting someone new? Move towards people, not away from them. I've never forgotten that. And you know what? I never knew I did that. And when my friends started pointing that out, I started connecting the dots, and I was like, yeah, I do that all the time, but I had a blind spot. I couldn't see. So it doesn't have to be sin. It could be anything. But a friend's willing to look at you and say, hey, do you realize how often you beat yourself up? Do do you realize how cruel you are to yourself? Do you ever hear yourself talk and the way you respond? You're way harder on yourself than you would be on anyone else. And I think you think that's humility, but it's really unhealthy. Or maybe your friend says, do you realize how sarcastic you are? You you never can be serious and everything's a joke. And when things do turn serious and emotional or you need to enter into someone's pain, you won't go there because you'll make a joke. Or you'll laugh it off because you don't want to experience the hurt. Do you have a friend that can do that? Do you have a friend that can do that? Or are you that for someone else? If so, then you just might have a friendship. We could end there. uh, And some of you are feeling really good because you're thinking, I've got some really good friends. In all seriousness, if you've got friendships like this, cultivate them. 
Don't take them for granted. It is a gift from God. But if you're like me and most of us, maybe you're feeling discouraged. Or maybe you're feeling overwhelmed thinking, I wish I would give anything to have friends like that. Or you're thinking, I'm a bum, I'm a terrible friend. And so what do we do? How do we get the power for friendship? That's the last point. How do we become friends like we see here in Proverbs? Well, first, we need to pray for them. I know that sounds really simple, but we live in America, and we've got an app for everything. I said it's about getting wisdom. That's how we want friendship. We think it's instant. Let me place my order, and voila, I have friends. It does not work that way. We don't need more strategies. We don't need more books on friendship. You know what we need? I want to encourage you to push that aside and to pray. And say, God, you, you tell me wisdom's urgent. And that it's something that I need to make it through this life well. And I don't have any friends. Real friends. I got a lot of buddies, but I don't have friends. God, provide me with friends like this. You start praying that prayer and watch what happens. Secondly, we need to focus on being a good friend. Not necessarily having lots of them or having friends. Because you see, the best way to have good friends is to be a good friend. And the more we know this, just think about people around you, we've seen this. The more you focus on having good friends, the more you drive people away. Isn't that true? Think about it. When you make an idol out of friendship as something that you have to have, then you become overly desperate. You become clingy and needy and you end up, it has the reverse effect. You end up pushing people away. We drive people away when we have these unrealistic expectations about friendship. And some of you this morning are constantly disappointed. Because you're expecting too much from friendship. Think about idolatry. In other words, you are looking for a friend to do for you what only God can do for you. For example, some of you have great friends that you would drop anything for, and they would drop anything for you. They're in the, they're in the driveway. They're not texting you. And you go through an experience together, and they let you down. And maybe you feel a little distance and you think to yourself, man, I really thought they got me. I guess they don't. I really thought that they understood who I was and my story and what I was going through. And they tried to enter in with me and it just felt felt like they couldn't enter in with me. And you know what happens typically at that moment? You ever had that happen? Typically at that moment we become very ungracious. And we get mad. Or if we don't get mad, we get sad and really disappointed. And we say, well, I thought we were friends. But I guess not. Next up. And we go to someone else trying to develop a friend, friendship, and we just keep trying. And I think that happens a lot. And this needs to be said. This side of heaven, no person, not even your spouse, can truly be the friend that you ultimately need. They will let you down. They will disappoint you, not on purpose, not because they're trying to be mean to you, and not because they don't love you, but because they're sinners. 
and we live in a broken world, and it's flawed, and even the best friendships, whatever it is for you, will disappoint you. It will not work the way it's supposed to work, this side of heaven. And so then the question is, what do we do? How do we stop needing people and being so needy and clingy and just love people for who they are and be good friends to them? Well, John chapter 15 says that God took on flesh and the person of Jesus Christ, and he comes down, and you know what it says he came down into the world to do? Listen to John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is saying, if you know him, that you're my friends. And so in a very real way, we could say that God came into the world to make his enemies, which is us, to make his enemies who are selfish and prideful and disloyal to make us into his friends. And the only way you and I are ever going to have the power to have true friendship and not make an idol out of them is when you realize that you already have the ultimate friend if you're friends with Jesus. Think about it. Jesus is the ultimate friend, isn't he? Is Jesus committed to you? Did he choose to commit to you? He chose to commit to you and love you no matter what. Uh, And that love uh, even endures through the profuse kisses of an enemy. Think about Judas. Think about the rest of his disciples who he would have said were his friends. Where did they go when he needed them the most? They left him. And Peter, who says, I'll never leave you, Denied him three times. They all run away. And you know what Jesus does? He dies for them. He dies for you. Empathy. Think about Jesus and empathy. See, your friends on this earth can try to love you, but they will always fall short because they can't crawl up into your heart. They can't do it. We want them to do it, and we're always disappointed but only Jesus who comes and gives you his spirit and dwells inside of you and makes his home inside of you. Jesus can crawl up into your heart. You know what that means? Jesus really knows you. He knows your heart inside and out, and he really gets you. And so we need to let all of our disappointment with our friendships down here point us, because that's what it's meant to do, point us and make us long for the ultimate friend in Jesus. What about confrontation? Does Jesus confront his friends? He does it perfectly. Not too strong, not too soft, but through his word and through his spirit, Jesus is determined to make us holy and more like him, and so he convicts us and challenges us on our sin, not because he's against us, but because he loves us and is for us. His confrontation is always good, and it's always for his glory. I don't know about you, but I need a friend. I need a friend who doesn't have the same issues and problems that I have. I need a friend who has the perfect wisdom and sees me perfectly because he created me and knows who I am and he has the ability to speak into my life. I need a friend who can cleanse me, forgive me for being a terrible friend to people. And I need a friend who's not put off by my quirks and all the things that are wrong with me. 
And you know what? You need a friend like that too. And that friend is Jesus. He's the one who gives us the strength to be good friends. And he's the one that helps us to have friends and to keep them. To be able to risk with them and to say hard things with them and to be vulnerable and to hurt with them. And here's the ultimate question that I'll end with. Is do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know Jesus as a friend? Not not as an abstract thing, but as a friend who's intimate and personal. Because that's the key to being a good friend. Is you got to be friends with the ultimate friend, Jesus. Consider that an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you took on flesh and came into the world to be friends with us. Would you forgive us this morning for being bad friends to other people and for neglecting our friendships and loving ourselves more than we love others? And we ask, you tell us to ask for wisdom and you'll give it. We're asking for friends and asking that you would give us good friends like we see in Proverbs. And if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you as friend, I pray that you would work in their heart and give them eyes to see and ears to hear and respond to the good news of the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.